Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And as of this recording, I am on post-production of The Amityville Killer, in post-production on Shino's Feratu, and in gear of starting a new podcast, uh, a wrestling podcast, a review wrestling podcast based on the life of a since deceased wrestler and I will be going over their matches with other guests talking about their favorite match of this individual so stay tuned for that that should probably be dropping in a few weeks Uh, I'm going to get getting everything set up here and going through my guest list and all that so uh, it's not going to be a weekly podcast but it's going to be I don't know, maybe like twice a month I'll do some episodes and do that and such. Um, I won't have a set schedule like this one, a weekly one. Weekly one's quite a bit, and uh, it's very taxing to do a weekly episode for no money um, for an extended amount of time. I've done it now for three years, and as I mentioned in the bottom half of this episode, this is going to be the last episode of the Franco Observer podcast. I still have five films left. Um to review but with this film episode 156 film 172 vampire junction i've made the um the decision to wrap it up with this episode because i don't feel like the next five films are going to be any better than this and this one's pretty bad and uh i don't want to just finish it to finish it even though that was my plan is to watch them all for better for worse but they're all for worse, and why do some if you don't enjoy doing it? Um, I do like speaking about film and talking about film, but there's other things I could be talking about and enjoying myself, and this is just torture, especially if I'm by myself or even with a guest talking about something that's really bad. So, unfortunately, I'd rather remember Jess in a good light and not in this light of these last few films, these last dozen really bad films, um, because, you know, Life's too short, and uh, it's not time to be wasted. So so that's that announcement. This is the last episode of the Frank Observer podcast. Uh, and at the bottom of the episode, um, I uh, give my thanks to everyone that's helped me out and everybody and give you news of future deals. So with that being said, let's start this episode. All right. Episode 156, film 172, Vampire Junction. And like all episodes, we take all the information and text from this part of his career, Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. Of course, Murderous Passions, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1 by Stephen Thrower was the first half of his films. And this one, Flowers of Perversion, is the second half of his filmography. So I made it to 172 films. That's pretty good. Well, give or take, you know, uh, 156, because some of them were unreleased or completed and never screened and all that stuff. So we did quite a bit. All right, here we go. Vampire Junction, USA, 2001, One Shot Productions, 2001. Production company, One Shot Productions and Impacto Films. Timeline on this shooting-wise is 2001. Video premiere was September of 2002. There's three different versions of this, the U.S. Sub Rosa VHS ran 84 minutes. Uh, the version I watched was the art video DVD from Russia, uh, 94 minutes, 47 seconds. 
And finally, the U.S. Silverosa Uncut DVD, 97 minutes. Director, of course, we all know, man we love, Jess Franco. Writer Jess Franco. Executive producers, Tommy Chase and Saul Klink. And Casey Yip and Kevin Collins. Music, Ezekiel Cohen. Additional music, Jess Franco. Organ music composed and performed by Daniel J. White. Director of photography, Emilio Skardowski. Actually, Jess Franco. Editor, Guillermo Morales. Digital editor, Kuro Pereira. First assistant director, Lena Romay. Second assistant director, Victor Seastrom. Uh, production manager, Bill Mendoza. Camera assistant, Alfredo Gutierrez. Art director, Ignacio Rogue. Um, we'll skip electricians, stills, makeup, special effects, digital sound, technical supplies, labs, additional credits on the one-shot website, editor Lena Romay, producers Kevin Collins, Tommy Chase, in conduction with Impacto Films, associate producer Karen Wong, post-production Quattro Vision, based on an original story by Jess Franco. Cast in this, uh, Lena Romay plays Alice Brown, a journalist. Sandra Olson plays the punk vampire girl. Victor Seastrom plays Father Flanagan, a vampire. Pretty lame in this. Uh, Paul Lapidus is Sheriff Joe Mendoza. Steve Barrymore plays Dr. Frank Spencer. Fanta Morgana plays Countess Irina. Ezekiel Caldas plays Marcario, a.k.a. Andy Devine, a.k.a. Dean Martin, a drunk. And accredited Mabel Escano plays the guide to the world of the shadows. And review by Stephen Thrower. What in the name of sanity is going on in Vampire Junction? It's a project so determinately peculiar that it achieves a sort of concussed magnificence. <laughs> While it suffers from the perennial problems of the one-shot era, it's so persistently bizarre that I believe the strangeness was part of the design, not just a random side effect or a case of the critic staring at the wall until faces come out of the wallpaper. Vampire Junction is confusing and often incoherent. Hey, here, here. But there's plenty going on tucked away within Franco's daunting, casual, but in this case, distinctly lysergic approach. It's not long before we've before we're assailed by an eerie scene of disjuncture. The film begins with a credit sequence depicting a woman, Lena Romay, driving a car as heavy rain blots out the road ahead. This is rendered via close-up shots of Romay's face through the rain-spattered windscreen to which color optical effects have been added, making the image semi-abstract, like a heavily digitized version of the credit sequence for Taxi Driver. Although Romay's hair is cut short in a masculine style and the video optical effects are quite intense, we can see that she's a woman, which makes it very puzzling when a male voiceover begins to speak in the first person, describing events which match to some extent what we're seeing on screen. Uh, da, 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 da. We see the woman pull off the main road bef because of the rain and arrive in a single edit at a place that looks suspiciously like an amusement resort themed around the Wild West. Welcome to Shit City. Already there's a lot of weird shit to figure out. The narrator says that he was both a doctor and a traveling salesman and crossed the border to visit both clients and customers. The doubling of occupation and the notion that he crossed county lines to look after his patients in combination with the gender disparity of the image and voiceover create an unstable factual matrix. The synchronicity between the voiceover's description of being rained off the road and the image of Romay's rain-splattered windscreen encourages us to spend these first few minutes trying to fit the contradictory elements together, too. However, the voiceover comes as completely illogical, ignoring the already fragile cause and effect of the film 
while both confirming and contradicting what we see. Uh, I'm going to go over what she says. The, silo- the soliloquy, comesly written like most of the dialogue, is delivered over a shot of Alice walking through the town soon after arriving. We don't see her attempting to leave. We don't see the pale and silent individuals mentioned in the voiceover, but we do see something vaguely reminiscent of a Hollywood film set. So we continue to try and fit what we've seen with what we're hearing, even though the gender difference is now very obvious. Alice meets the sheriff of Shit City and says that she's seeking a man called Frank Spencer, which to the British viewers of a certain age will conjure inappropriate sitcom memories. After a tense encounter with Spencer, who tells her that the town is riddled with vampires and a run with his fearsome-looking wife, who behaves menacingly, Alice goes to bed in the hotel run by the strange couple. Next morning, having been visited by vampires in her dreams, she finds Spencer's dead body, apparently speared by a life-size wooden Indian, which stands beside the door to the hotel saloon. As she roams the streets, looking for help, the male voiceover throws us this curveball. Now five years later, until I stay here... It was here that I met my wife. Puzzlement reaches its apex 42 minutes into the story until at last the voiceover reveals its providence. After musing on the name of the town, the speaker signs off with the words, Dr. Francis J. Spencer. The voiceover we've been hearing since the start of the film was a recording made by Dr. Spencer. Presumably, given that it continues after he turns up dead, what we're hearing is a tape recording which he sent to Alice, who came to Shit City to meet him. The next scene offers a hinge. There's a lot to read here. Offers <laughs> well, it's last episode, so that's cool. The next scene offers us a hinge upon which one could hang a theory on to form Vampire Junction. It involves a street bum called Mercario, who sees the sheriff being attacked by vampires who are led by an undead priest, Father Flanagan. Tried to help, he points a gun at the vampires and exclaims, "Bam, bam, bam!" When the bullets do no harm, he stares at the gun in dismay before throwing it away as useless. The gag is a tight Escher-like coil in which fictional and metafictional levels switch back on each other. The joke has two layers. We laugh not only at the meta-narrative gag, bam, 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 but because the character believes that his fake gunshot should have worked that were snapped out of the fictional world by deliberate absurdity, only to be pulled back into fiction by the character's reactions. Could this be a metaphor for Franco's entire modus operandi here? The whole film is a wrestling match between reality and simulation. Video footage gives everything a flattened sense of clinical reality, like handicam footage taking on a holiday, but the flagrant fakery of this wild west amusement park on the Costa del Sol subverts reality on two fronts. We're seeing a kitschy simulation of the old west with a cheap and tacky air of unreality, while at the same time the actors play characters who not only claim to live there, but also adopt personas to match. Shit City has a sheriff dressed in Wild West costumes, and Mercario speaks with a cartoonish Mexican accent. Meanwhile, the images relayed to us at a videotape standard of 30 frames per second, giving everything a queasy surplus of reality. Fakery and realism intertwine as Lena Romay, Ezekiel Caldas, and Paula Padius hover undecidedly between the two, giving lenticular performances. Alice speaks naturalistically in English with a heavy but contemporary Spanish accent. Arcario, one of the few residents of Shit City who hasn't been bitten by a vampire, speaks like Speedy Gonzalez. We're clearly in the present day. Alice drives a modern car and uses a laptop. Mercario has a mobile phone and the sinister father Flanagan has a website. And yet Mercario asks Alice, seemingly in all sincerity, if she's seen Billy the Kid, whose wanted poster is sticking to a telegraph pole. Franco destabilizes cause and effect in the bargain, a scene in which Alice is attacked by Father Flanagan and the vampire women in a hotel corridor appears to establish that Alice has been bitten by the creatures, 
But then we cut to a scene of her sitting unharmed in her hotel room, typing up her notes. She's wearing a white low-cut t-shirt so we can see her neck clearly. There are no bite marks. She makes no mention of being attacked, and the notion of her becoming a vampire is not born out of subsequent events. So, what do we see happening in the hallway? We're not even encouraged to read it as a dream. There are no bracketing scenes to lend such context. Then there's the question of identification. Alice is the protagonist of the story, and in the normal run of things, her position as the innocent entering a severe and dangerous situation would make her the heroine. She's a journalist investigating strange occurrences under threat from a mysterious clan of vampires. Simple enough, you might think. Once the gender confusion of the voiceover is out of the way. But in a scene that pulls the rug out from under again, the sheriff accosts Alice's with these words. Don't play the innocent. I've got all information about you from Kentucky. You've got a brilliant career of crimes, pronounced an instigator of prostitution, accused of with simulated whip wounds, suspected of corruption of minors in 98. Alice is indignant, but she doesn't deny it. Instead, she offers a hard criminal's verbal one finger, but I was never condemned. Mendoza replies, you will tell me all your lies to the judge. Now you are fucked. If we all take Alice's response to mean I was never convicted, it sounds like she's boasting about getting away with it. If you're innocent, you say so, but you don't crow about the prosecution and fail to pin anything on you. Then there's a line about simulated whip sounds. Unfortunately, a very loud crash of thunder obliterates the rest of this remark, but what on earth could her crimes be? The very mention of simulation in a film rife with weird irony, blatant fakery, filmsy facades, and metacinematic games seems to only add to the senses that what's at stake in Vampire Junction is the erosion of the line between simulated space and real space, between meaning it and faking it. A preoccupation with simulation is born out of the script's reference to the father of to the forest of Chapultepec, which Alice is told to visit to find out more about the vampire father Flanagan. This is a slightly misspelled, misremembered reference to the forest of Chapultepec, an enormous park in Mexico City. The word Chapultepec means at the Grasshopper Hill in Nahuatl and refers to a large rock formation in the park. The area has vestal runes going back to the Toltecs. Originally, the land was a forest outside of Tenochtitlan, the capital of Aztec Empire in the 15th century, but today it's maintained as a park entirely within Mexico City, containing museums, amusement parks, sculptures, lakes, and fountains. In other words, the ancient historical site has been absorbed into modern city planning, with traces of, Aztec, of ancient Aztec and Toltec architecture left standing as, as signifiers of their own historical destruction within a postmodern context of entertainment, leisure and capital. The chimes very nearly with the material used to create shit city, namely a tourist amusement park in Latinos, a city already stripped of any historical Spanishness and reconstructed to cater entirely to the needs of foreign consumers. Remember that Franco had previously used the fictional shit, uh, go back here. Remember that Franco had previously used the fictional setting shit city in Le Blues de la Cali Pop in 1982. A much better film when it was represented by tourist-dominated Benidorm. Franco's words about Benidorm are worth repeating here, uh, which I'm not going to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, this makes it very clear that Franco was interested in the postmodern situation as it applied to architecture and culture. Vampire Junction's ironic play with appearances tracing the shabbiest of illusions as though they are real, and then populating them with characters who live in a synthetic Wild West environment Marked by depletion, poverty, and kitsch is therefore far from accidental. Perhaps it also explains why Franco chose to make a vampire story here. 
vampires are a mythic menace, uh, but there are still many people who feel that they could exist, and they are in some way symbolic of a real danger, like psychic vampires. Or they have roots in something not entirely fictional. In this case, they are limited beings, so it makes sense to depict them as limited space, especially when the boundary between reality and illusion, fantasy, and fakery have been worn away. Um, the fact, or let's see, the few days I stayed in this country are the most surrealistic I have ever lived, writes Alice, typing up her story, sitting in a deserted amusement arcade called Rodeo Loco, the centerpiece of which is a mechanized rodeo bull. Perhaps we can glean from her shaky grasp of past and present tense that she's not really a journalist. Maybe she really is the pimp and child molester the sheriff accused her of being. Meanwhile, the faded line between reality and simulation is brought to the fore yet again when Marcello mounts the amusement park's mechanical bull and rides on it, whooping and hooting, despite the fact the machine is turned off. It's better to do something here or you'll die of sorrow, he tells her. There's something forlornly childlike about his behavior, but his stag statement suggests an adult's deliberation. He's choosing to act like a child at a fairground, even though the fairground is switched off because simulated fun is better than no fun at all. Uh, of course, he could embrace the sorrow of condition, wake up and stop living in authentic, authentic existence in a world of garbage entertainment, maybe even leave Tormolinos and get a job working for Jess Franco in Malaga, much to the dismay of Ezekiel Caldos, who would rather be freaked out to discover that those that there were two of him. On a surely tactile or abstract level, there are some very beautiful and haunting images in Vampire Junction. Really? Twice in the film, we see Alice driving in the rain. Her features weirdly deformed by the rivulets as we look through her windshield. Franco shoots her with real aesthetic eye for the random beauty of water. These scenes, although quite obviously achieved by having someone pour buckets of water down the windshield, are staggeringly beautiful. I mean, they are decent. I don't know about staggeringly beautiful. The lighting on the post-production optical tweaking turns the feature of Franco's greatest actor into a shifting post-human nightmare. For once, the art for once the artificiality of her optical of his optical effects and his low tech video quality alchemize into something genuinely haunting if you saw these frames blown up and framed in MoMA they would not look out of place wow uh, narratively the placement is the story of the story is willfully devoid of structural logic it seems as though Alice like Spencer before her has decided to leave shit city although we don't see her get in her car in order she talk about leaving when some kind of bird crashes into her windshield, she decides to turn back, but her decision to return is more integrated into the story than her decision to leave. The scene just happens to be an atomized cell of its own. As befits the film, with so capricious of an aircraft structure, let's pause a moment here to talk about the credit sequence. <clears throat> a Vampire Junction is typical of the one-shot production, inasmuch as its credit sequence runs way too long, which I said, yeah, eight minutes. That's funny, he... he he uh, made a point of that too Snake Woman is the winner in this category it takes 11 and a half minutes to get past the director's name check Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell strings of credits out for 10 minutes Helter Skelter and Broken Dolls take it 7 minutes while Vampire Blues and Mari Cookie manage 5 the least indulgent is Blind Target whose credits clock in at a brisk 2 and a half minutes such absurdly long credit sequences obstruct the process of getting on with the start, needlessly delaying the point at which we could forget about technicalities and enter the fictional world. To make matters worse, the credit sequence of Vampire Junction presents us with images of the vampire women long before we actually meet them, and Franco has them staring down the lens as if posing for a gothic babe's vampire calendar. Thankfully, they're oblivious to the camera later in the film. 
let's see. To be honest, the vampires in Vampire Junction are the least interesting thing about it, which doesn't, of course, prevent their sexual activities from gobbling up 40 minutes of screen time. There's a 20-minute dream sequence depicting two ghostly women making out on a bed with one shaving the other's pussy, and there's another 20-minute scene at the end of the film where the ghosts appear in the daytime and drag Alice into a threesome in preparation for the arrival of their evil guru, Father Flanagan. These scenes are no better or no worse than most of the other sapphic sex interludes in the post-1990s productions, although the glam punk trappings and high-exposure photography give the film a sort of retro cheapo futurism Blade Runner meets Liquid Sky at Flat Cafe Flesh on a budget of 50 euros. And we do at least learn something new about vampires. They love the taste of shaving foam. <laughs> Fata Morgana gamely licks it off the partially shaved pubis of Sandra Olsen as though it's a whipped cream, which more have been pretty unpleasant in reality. The highlight of the vampire's plot strand is a very weird scene in which Olsen does the crab, walking on all fours in the nude with her back bent right over. Beat that, Christopher Lee. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I thought was halfway decent. Uh, it's followed by the slight sight of Olsen and similarly nude Fata Morgana dragging Lena Romay to their bed using, old, only, using only their knees. A feat, a feat of surreal gymnastics echoed a few minutes later by a lesbian threesome that sees the women stacking up on each other like some obscene circus act. I was reminded of the marauding bare bottoms in Jose Morocca Marin's Awakening of the Beast, 1970. Overall, Vampire Junction is the weirdest and wildest of the one-shot productions. You will probably need to have seen a few of them already to enjoy it without suffering a violent reaction to the quality. But once you've sighted and shrugged and resigned yourself to the nastiness of video as a medium this is as freakishly weird as anything in Franco's filmography the only thing that really makes me grit my teeth in despair is the voiceover performance by an absolutely dreadful English actor his line readings are unbelievably bad and it's frankly mind-boggling that he was given the job not only that but he dubs Carson Frank in Franco's next film Incubus what kind of wicked blackmailers hold did he have over the producers see I won't know the problem aside, however, I would nominate Vampire Junction as maybe the best, certainly the craziest Franco project of the one-shot era. Well, okay. Well, I'm glad he liked it more than I did, but yeah. Uh, cast and crew. Ezekiel Caldos once again turns on the charm, this time as an amusing and rather sweet way, saying to Rome, Hey, wait. Don't you ever want to see a couple of things more? I'm a good cook, and I could cuddle you. I'm very cute, you know. <laughs> Casting, okay, uh, music. Vampire Junction's score is like no other in Franco's career, and as much as it takes an electroacoustic or acoustomatic approach combined with music concrete, the electronic ingredients are a series of whoops, whistles, and rapidly passing bleeps, like the slipstream of virtual spacecraft or drifting signals on shortwave radio. The music concrete elements achieved by sampling keyboard rather than tape splicing include various chunks of orchestral music, a few rather loose, lurid orchestral stabs of the sort that turned up in earlier sample musics of bands like Propaganda, Pet Shop Boys, and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Mixed with slower down fragments of classical instruments such as piano and guitar, there's also a creative use of sound effects. For instance, a vampire sex scene in a hotel room intercut with close-ups of Romay driving through a rainstorm is scored to a constant sound of windscreen whispers in the rain. The score also includes this song by Ezekiel Caldas, which sounds like a kissing cousin to Secret Side by Nico and Daniel White's Afna Torre No. 2 from the library complimented Grandes Organes de Note Tempos. 
Tim's. 1976, the latter of which became a fixture in Franco's later films. Locations. And of course, it's Trivoli World in Benalmadera. Connections. Uh, Shit City is a callback to 1982's Los Blues del Cali Pop. Both Tom Tyler and Bob Steele were popular American stars, primarily in westerns of the silent and early sound era, although Steele made his biggest splash in the sadistic Curly in Of Mice and Men, 1939 version. You call this dragon water whiskey, asks Alice. It's Scottish from Loch Ness, says Macario. Vampire Junction is the first Franco film to mention a web address. Alice is told to contact the evil Father Flanagan by visiting www.vampireflanagan.com. <laughs> Alice writes her stories on an IBM laptop. Nights are very long here and days too, says Macario, echoing a line from Franco's 1971 film, A Virgin Among the Living Dead. One of my favorites, which I caught that. Here the nights passed rather slowly, as slowly as the days. Is there a filament of Virgin Among Living Dead in the story of Vampire Junction? A woman arrives at a strange dwelling to find that nearly everyone there is a member of the undead. Oh, interesting. She ignores repeated advice to leave, but when the woman she wants to leave, she can't. And eventually she's sexually ravished by the undead, thus becoming one of them. Well, that's true. Yeah, it's actually a really bad facsimile of that film. Uh, don't call me Macaris. I'm Andy Devine, says Marcario, a reference to the actor who played Roy Rogers' sidekick Cookie in... 10 of the Roy Rogers and Trigger films, including The Gay Ranchero, On the Old Spanish Trail, Under California Stars, and Eyes of Texas. When Macario sings tuneless country and western with a hint of she'll be coming around the mountain, he calls it from the best of Pete Seeger. Given that Caldas's scat lyrics refers to going down the river, it's probably Seeger's version of sailing up, sailing down that he's channeling. So... All right, well, that's the rundown of the film by Stephen Thrower. Um, let's see, I'm going to give my one last plugs here uh, for the deal, because uh, this is the last episode, so this is the last time I'll be doing my plugs. Um, let's see. So, of course, um, I got Blu-rays for sale. Uh, I got um, Mondo Sacramento, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, Volume 2. Nudie Cutie Double Feature of Desires of Dawn and Mondo Visions, uh, Lady Hyde, uh, Manuel in Sin City, and Sukibon Octopus Pot. I got seven Blu-rays for sale, uh, 20 bucks a piece, or if you buy uh, more than two or three, I'll cut you a deal. You can always get a hold of me at uh, DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com, or FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com, or the Facebook page, or the Instagram page of the Franco Observer Podcast. So get a hold of me. And uh, I got a storefront that ships worldwide, or if you're in the United States, I can ship them to you from the home uh, office of Desperate Visions Productions, either, either or, whatever works for you. So, yeah, we can always ship them to you. So, um, and if you want an autograph or whatever, just let me know. Um, but yeah, support local artists, support independent filmmakers. If you want to help me, that's the best way you can do it is to buy some of my films. They're all Blu-rays. They got special features. You got audio commentary if you want to hear me talking. Uh, we got um, trailers on there, photo galleries, a bunch of stuff. So they're loaded special features. So please support that. Oh, and they're also worldwide, region free, all that good stuff. So um, yeah, so they work for anybody. Uh, I also have uh, Lady Hyde on Tubi and Mondo Sacramento 2. Uh, it's Mondo Sacramento 2 and Lady Hyde playing on Tubi. If you want to watch those, I support that. 
I always get a little bit of money from those playing. So if you want to support me on that way, you can do that as well. Of course, we've got a donation button on the Red Circle homepage. Uh, even though this is the last episode, I might pop in later with some these later ones. We'll see. But uh, if you want to go back and listen to any of the episodes, they'll always be there. If you want to donate anything to show your appreciation for the three years and uh, about 160 episodes or so with the bonus ones thrown in there um, for my work, you can always donate something one time or reoccurring, whatever you want. Um, I guess you can still subscribe to the podcast. I mean, you know, it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, all that stuff. If you want to rate the podcast or review it, you're always more than welcome to. That always helps, you know, whatever. Tell a friend. If you want to tell a friend about the podcast, about what you listened to for three years, and if they want everyone to go back and find information on pretty much any Jess Franco film, it's always going to be there. Uh, if you want to, it's kind of cool if you're getting into Jess Franco or you want to go, hey, what's this movie, this one about? And you can go back and find it and then hear the research and uh, the reviews of it and then see if you want to watch it or if you watched it and you want to learn more about it or kind of listen to somebody who dug it or didn't dig it you can always go back and listen that way as well they're always there um they're always listed pretty easy to find and uh they'll always be there for to check out so always keep going back to it if you want it it's always going to be there uh if you want to get a hold of me you can at franco observer one word franco observer at yahoo.com of course we got facebook and instagram pages they'll always be there uh, at least for a long time. Um, you can add us on Facebook or Instagram for Franco Observer Podcast. And, uh, yeah, just buy the DVDs, support my stuff. And, uh, like I said, I'll be having a wrestling podcast coming up. And um, if you subscribe to this podcast, I'll be putting up a episode of my wrestling podcast on this site to kind of cross-promote it and give you a little advertising link of where to get it. It's going to be through Red Circle, and it's going to be wrestling. So uh, friends of mine or people who like the podcast, if you want to keep supporting me, um, and if you like wrestling, uh, it'll be a fun deal. I'll have different guests each week uh, talking about a wrestler and his matches, um, and we'll talk about that guest's, what their favorite match of this person was. Uh, and I will say the clue is he has recently passed away and he's probably considered the greatest wrestler of all time. So I think you think you'll know who it is, <coughs> Terry Funk. So, yeah, so that's what I'll be doing. So, uh, I think I got a good idea to do that and I think that's what I'm going to be doing. So we'll see how long we go on that. Um, if everything goes good, do at least 40, 50 episodes of that. So we'll see how it goes. Definitely. And maybe not as much as Franco podcast. I don't think I'll be doing 160 episodes of that, but It'll be fun, and it, it won't be weekly. Like I said before, it'll probably be at least twice a month, something like that. We'll see how everything goes with scheduling and my own films and what I got going on. But, uh, yeah, I got to get back to doing the films and uh, doing the podcast and doing other stuff. So, yeah, and we reach, reach, the end, reach the end of the Franco Rainbow. So um, hang out past the break, and you'll hear one last time the commercial for the Franco uh, for the uh, Desperate Revisions Productions Blu-rays and hang out past that and you'll hear my review of Vampire Junction. Thank you all for the trip. It's been fun. I'll see you on the other side. Buenas noches, Maha. Buenas noches. Hi. This 
is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, and I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases. All new this year, 2023, from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me, as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel in Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Emmanuel in Sin City is on the Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels, and Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu. So please check those three titles out and tell others about them. On the Blu-ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Volume 1 interview by Cameron Cloutier of yours truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions Volume 1, we have the films Room 412 from 2007, The Last Road to Hell from 2008, Chump Change from 2010, and The Dirty ABC Rhyme from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 2, we have titled Demon Dames and Desperate Visions. We have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone La Femme de Monde from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation um, of the past films and all that good stuff. Also, we have... A late night nudie cutie cinema double feature featuring two films, two nudie cutie films from yours truly, uh, titled The Desires of Dawn and Jason Rudy's Mondo Visions. The Desires of Dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes unrated, and Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p high definition widescreen, and all discs are AV- AVC encoded and PCM stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu rays. Uh, the Desires of Dawn. Was previously on VHS, on uh, excuse me, on DVD. Monovisions uh, had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So yeah, brand new film. So check it out. And we also have, of course, Lady Hyde from 2022. It's unrated, runs 78 minutes, is 1920 by 1080p full HD resolution, AVC encoded, PCM stereo. 
and that has the special features of audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy, theatrical trailer, and a lady hide-behind-the-scenes photo gallery. And, uh, yeah, it's a good release. All these are region-free, by the way, so if you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region-free. And finally, the last two discs we have are Emmanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut, and was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special featured audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally, uh, the sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes, unrated. Special features, audio commentary, recorded specifically for... I actually know it's the... um, the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with uh, actress Boots Trader, who's in the Batgirl segment, and actress Sondal G, who is in the Ricky the Vampire of Sacramento segment. So we have, uh, and then of course with myself as well, so we have writer, director, and uh, actor commentary on that. And then we have uh, a never-before-seen behind-the-scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool. Nobody's ever seen that before, so that's a special feature on that. And a behind-the-scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012. And, uh, yeah, so that's available. All six releases, which is 13 films total are now released on Blu-ray, and they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films. If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. Uh, If you want to have information on that, you can always find me and inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you could write me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. That's DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com, which is the Desperate Visions Productions email address. Um, And if you want to purchase all six in one swoop, I will give you a discount, and uh, pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling. So, yeah, please support fellow independent cinema. And this is a one-man operation, so I sincerely appreciate your support. So, yeah, once again, Emmanuel in Sin City, Lady Hyde, Mondo Sacramento, The Late Night Nudie Cutie Cinema Double Feature, and the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, disc, region-free, with lots of special features. So pick them up today. 
DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you at the movies. with the review portion of episode 156, film 172, Vampire Junction. And the hits just keep on coming. Um, Like I had mentioned in the top of this episode, I think this is going to be the last Franco Observer episode, at least for a while. Um, i still got five films left on my list to do, but uh, man, I tell you what, of course, I'm not getting paid for any of this. It's all labor of love. I've done it now almost three years. And when something stops becoming fun, you have to just stop it because you don't want to hate it. And uh, I want to go out on a decent note because these last few films have just sucked so bad. And uh, it's just uh, it's just torture every week to do, to do these last few films. So I think we'll go out on a good note. Uh, but unfortunately this film is not a good note to go out on. Um, a few films back was better, but so yeah, Vampire Junction. This was a really bad film. Um, what's weird is Helter Skelter was decent, like the first two minutes and this film had a decent opening title sequence, but it's like eight minutes long, which was crazy. Um, you have like Lena driving through the rain and it's obviously a, uh, a shot of a parked car and water splashing across the window and windshield wipers and she's driving to the destination and the whole time she's driving it's raining but then as soon as she gets to this little town it's like completely dry and the the ground's not wet or anything so um yeah it's really weird um you get uh two minutes the first nudity you get a naked female vampire and that's what this film was really focused on was seeing naked vampire women like humping each other basically like throughout different sequences which was kind of crazy uh during the title sequence he uses this really bad fx filter um that makes the walls all pixelated with the kind of the um the coloring he was using and just looks so video bad quality um really of course with everything on these these sequences of films you have really bad dubbing the music in this is really bad it's like they're trying to copy francis ford coppola's dracula i think um and what's weird is you have these two vampire women that are transparent, but they're they appear and they're seen in the mirror. So that was, I think that was a, a technical fuck up that he didn't really fix, which was pretty bad. Um, and the film, I'm just basically going to hit some high spots of stuff that I mentioned or that I uh, made notes about. Lena, um, she's about sleeping. She has nightmares about these vampire biting a naked woman and turning into a vampire. And part of it was okay. It was like black and white, with the blood was red was kind of cool but it has really bad electrical electronic noise samples for music and then he shoots this close-up shot of the woman's vagina that's just got turned or got bitten for some reason he just like zooms in and keeps it there and then uh the other vampire woman shaves the woman's pubic hair off her vagina with a shaving cream and and a disposable uh like big razor which it was way too long in slow motion which was pretty stupid and then the vampire climbs on top of her and, like, sucks the blood from her vagina. And then, like, 69 straddles her and, and bites her. It's very stupid. It's supposed to be erotic for some reason. It just was not. Um, the finale of the film had basically a woman doing a backward spider walk 
at, they, they do that sequence again with the two women and when Lena walks in and the lady does like this backwards spider walk toward Lena which was decent you know and then uh, the two women scissor her legs and lead her to the bed and they strip her and they have a threesome and then the two vampire women lead this like male vampire who's been watching the whole time into her climbs on top of her and then they fade away and the whole town fades away like that's the film it's like uh Let's see. My the version I watched was the ninety four minute version. The uh, I guess the art video DVD because there's like a Sub Rosa VHS was eighty four minutes. The Sub Rosa uncut DVD was ninety seven. Then the Russian Artivat DVD was ninety four forty seven. I think that's one I watched. I got a gray market uh, DVD R dub of it that I bought years ago. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's sad to say. Uh, you know, you start off with something really good, really excited to do something. And then with these last few films, they just got really bad. Um, I'll read the synopsis of the film, kind of go through that. So basically, you have a journalist named Alice Brown, which is Lena Romay, receives a tape recording from a Dr. Spencer, alerting her to strange happenings in a town called Shit City, USA. Deciding to investigate, she arrives to find the place virtually deserted. She meets a drunk called Marcario, who insists he's actually called Andy Devine, or Dean Martin, and the town sheriff, Joe Mendoza. The sheriff tells her to leave immediately, but when she insists on looking for Spencer, he gives her directions to the local bar about 20 feet away. There she meets Spencer, who tells her that the reason the town is deserted is because it has been overrun by vampires. Spencer's gun-toting wife, who runs the inn, won't let him say any more, chiefly because she too is secretly a vampire. Alice takes a room at the inn, not knowing that her room is bi-located with an alternate reality where vampires live. Okay, that's what I couldn't catch that watching it. Uh, during the night, she has strange dreams about a drunken girl being abducted by vampires. Waking up the next morning, she finds Spencer dead, impaled on a spear held by the carven wooden Indian standing at the bar entrance. That was okay. Uh, Spencer's wife has vanished. Alice tries to write up her experiences on her laptop, but the words, Father Flanagan is calling you, appear on the screen. She goes looking for him in the forest of Chapultepec and encounters a mysterious old woman who gives him a gives her a website address. That was so funny. She www.vampire or something. Uh, Alice returns to Shit City and spends time at an amusement arcade with a mechanical rodeo machine, which, of course, is never run. It's just, like, stationary, which is pretty stupid. Um, where are we at? Um, as she writes up her notes, Marcario pretends to be a rodeo writer and whoops it up. Again, he warns her to leave. Sheriff Mendoza sees the vampires arriving at the bar. They are led by Father Flanagan, who wears a vampire cape. Mendoza tries to shoot them, but Father Flanagan attacks and kills him. He disappears with Mendoza's body, leaving only his cape behind. Marcario finds the garment and shows it to Alice, but she has had enough of the town and returns to her room, planning to leave Shit City. Before she can leave the room, she sees two female vampires making out on her bed. They crawl across the floor, grip her between their thighs, and drag her back to the bed where they ravish her in a series of even more gymnastic ways. Father Flanagan enters and bites her. The vampires disappear, taking their victim with them. Alice will never leave Shit City. Yeah, and basically that's the film. So, um... It's like he filmed it on like a uh, like an old west uh, set or something that was maybe there for either a, a show or a movies or something kind of a location um, that gave a little bit of 
um, production value, I guess, for the area. Um, I basically watched the film. I haven't done the research yet um, from the book Flowers of Perversion. After I record this segment, I'm going to go back and record the intro and kind of tell you all about everything. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Um, this is going to be a lot shorter and uh, all that stuff. So, um, But, yeah, I think if this is the last episode, I'm going to record a little outro at the end and kind of thank everybody and give my goodbyes and uh, tell you about the next show that I'm going to be doing. So, all right, let's do the Franco list for possibly the last time. And unfortunately, it is a almost a no on everything. Uh, Franco Observer Checklist. Here's a list that I put together way back when, observing things that I saw in the different Jess Franco films, um, reoccurring themes, tropes, different ideas and situations um, that oh, appeared over and over again. And uh, in the beginning, but as time went on, they definitely lessened. So... Here we go. Number one, body of water. No. Sailboat. No. Boats. Number three. No. Four, palm trees. No. Because it's all in this one set. Five, jungle sound effects. No. Chained up person. Number six. No. Number seven, dance scenes on stage. Stripping. No. Number eight, club scenes. Uh, People dancing in a bar together. Having a good time. No. Number nine, jazz music. Unfortunately. No. Number ten, excessive zooms. Uh, Yes. Number 11, out-of-focus shots. Uh, not really, but there's some really bad video technical things, so that's partial on that. 12, mirror shots. No, the only mirror shot is in Lena's hotel room. It's nothing exciting. Uh, number 15, red light. No. Number 16, sheepskin rugs. Masturbation with a letter C item, like cigar, cane, um, cucumber, any of those things in past films. No. Number 17, mad scientist and servant. No. 18, fish tank shots, no. 19, talking parrot, no. Uh, Number 20, in credits, yes or no, yes. Number 1, or 21, a handwritten sign, anything cheesy, yeah. There was a bad Billy the Kid wanted poster uh, in the beginning, uh, but that's about it. Uh, 22, spiral staircase shot, no. 23, inept cops, Uh, there's the sheriff of the town, and he kills the, uh, I don't know, I'd say that's no. But there is a sheriff of the town. 24, belly chains. No. 25, kinks. Well, let's see. There's uh, shaving. There's uh, voyeurism. There's um, uh, biting, bloodletting, I guess. Pretty pretty stupid stuff. 26, great headboards. No. But I will say one thing that I should have put on the list way back when. I noticed in all these hotel rooms, they always have a room that has two single beds, and they push them together instead of getting a queen-size or a king-size bed. So I should have said, uh, is there a scene where there's two beds pushed together? <laughs> and in this one, it would be yes. Uh, let's see, number 27, fear or desire? I'd say desire, even though there's fear with the vampires and that. It's, it's all about the desire of the girls getting it on. Which really, you know, Franco made a career on is the lesbian... Sephiric uh, sex, and in this one, definitely it was just a lot of extended slow motion scenes of just two women naked on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number 28, acoustic guitar player. Yes, in the beginning, the guy plays acoustic guitar in the streets. Uh, 29, reading a book scene. No, uh, she does read her PC screen, the personal computer. Lena reads, uh, she's writing, so partial points on that. And finally, number 30, P scene. 
yeah, there's, no, I'm sorry, no, <laughs> I wish there was, and that's a fucking, uh, at least keeps something to talk about. Yeah, there's there's nobody peeing in the scene or, or talking about that. Uh, let's see, anything else on my notes I wanted to talk about? Um, no, it's just, you know, he, he just does a lot of really bad slow motion, and there's a lot of bad editing effects, bad digital stuff. Um, soundtrack was just garbage. Um yeah, you know, I mean, like I was saying, I have five other films that I still have to watch still, like uh, Killer Barbies vs. Dracula and Incubus and uh, um, Paula Paula, Snake Woman, and Al Pereira. Um, what was it? Uh, Al Pereira and the Alligator Women, and I'm probably going to just skip those, I think. Or maybe if I feel like torturing myself later, I'll, I'll pop up again and drop five more episodes, but... I'm thinking this is going to be the end of the run. So, um, actually, I'm just going to go ahead and hit this part now. So, I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast over the time. Um, when it started off, I, I had a really good time. And I had a really good time, too, pretty much, until these last few months, really, when I hit the uh, the porn era, the digital video era. That's when it really started to really become a, a thing that, like, really strong was pretty bad. Um, when I first started this podcast, I had a friend, Eric, that was with me doing the podcast. Uh, as time went on, we had some uh, disagreements, so we parted ways as friends and as colleagues, which was too bad because uh, he was a big part of about the first, uh, shoot, I don't know, maybe uh, the first um, maybe f- 60 episodes or so, about the first third of the show. And then uh, I had a lot of cool help. I had um, uh, my brother was on a few episodes, and I had uh, my brother Jared, and I had Collie, uh, Collie Sini from Los Angeles was guest host and guest reviewer on quite a few episodes. I want to thank her. She was probably the most um, other one that gave me the most help throughout the different um, throughout the years, about three years of doing this show. Uh, she was always cool, had a lot of enthusiasm, and a lot of uh, verve for Jess Franco, and she was probably big as Jess Franco fan as I am, even though I've seen more films than her, she's definitely a big Jess Franco fan, and, and really has the, the passion for Franco, which is always cool. Uh, my friend Bob Moritz did some episodes with me, it's cool to have him on, talking to him about the past films, and uh, his expertise as a fellow uh, micro-budget filmmaker like myself, who identify with a lot of the Jess Franco stuff. He was a cool one to have on. Uh, my friend Greta did some of the early episodes. Um, she she uh, was always cool and liked a lot of cool cult films and uh, that era of filmmaking, so she was always awesome to have on. Uh, she started with uh, Bloody Moon, episode six, way back when, and she did about f- four or five episodes, I think. Uh, my friend Dan Farron came on early, did a couple episodes with me. Uh, my friend from Los Angeles, um, and uh, Amber Kloss came on, did Faceless with me, and uh, she did one other one, I forgot, Faceless, and I think, uh, let's see, going through my notes here, she did Faceless, and what else did she do? Uh, I forgot what else she did, but I know she did Faceless with me, that was fun, and uh, let's see, who else, let me go through my list here, and uh, we had... Um, uh, Collie, of course, did a bunch. Um, Greta, of course. Uh, so, hello, Collie. 
Uh, yeah, shit. Kali did a lot of them. Um, my friend Ragnar did did some. Um, who was a very cool Franco fan, and uh, across the continent, across the world, the other side of the world, he came on and did some with me, which was cool. Uh, my friend Jeff Grolbert came on and did a few episodes with me, uh, which was very cool. Uh, Lauren Hess from the Dreamland Studio came on and did House of Lost Women with me. Kind of shocked her to see a Jess Franco film. Oh, and which is cool, though, um, in the month of October here in Sacramento, California at the Dreamland Cinema, they on October 18th, they're going to be showing Vampiros Lesbos, and I'm going to get up and probably talk a little bit about that. Um, my friend Jessica Dardarian came on and did In Search of the Golden Dragon with me back in the day. Uh, Bobby DeLeon did How Much for a Spy. Um, friend, uh, this gal named Teresa came on, did a couple episodes with me. Thank her on that. And, uh, yeah, and back to, uh, Red and Euphoria did episode Killer Barbies, and of course Collie. Collie did the most though, and 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 finally Ryan Wynn was one of my last uh, guest hosts. Came on and did Blind Target with me. Uh, I'm glad to have him on the show before we end up this run. He's been a loyal friend and listener since uh, a long time. So I was he's uh, somebody that's always uh, promoting the show and uh, putting it out there. So always want to thank him and Ragnar the most for always. Uh, you know, being loyal listeners and very cool with uh, the show and promoting it and all that good stuff. So, yeah, you know, I mean, the show when I first started, it was it was fun. It was a lot of good times. I really learned a lot from Jess Franco, uh, the pros and cons, um, watching his films and getting into what he did influenced me. Uh, I did my own uh, Franco types film. Um, Lady Hyde, which is a remake of She Killed in Ecstasy, and that's still on Tubi, as I always promote every week. So if you if you want to be a nice person and help me out a little bit, um, you can watch that on Tubi again or tell people about it because I always get a little bit from that, so that's always cool. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, it was, it was a fun run. I enjoyed it. Um, but like I said, these last, uh, shit, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. About these last twelve episodes have really just took a toll. So, you know, and in life, life is short. Um, like us all, we're busy people. I work a full time job and I'm trying to edit and do post production on two films, which I've had to lack from doing these podcasts. And I want to get back to my artistry and drawing and painting. And I'm also going to be starting another podcast. Uh, I'm going to take a break for a few weeks and then jump back into that um, and that's going to be there on Red Circle uh, I'll promote that I'll probably put a little note up here or do a little uh, advertisement on this Franco site but it's going to be a pro wrestling um, type of podcast all about one individual who has since passed away some clues and it's going to be um all about their matches so that's all i'm going to say for now but i don't want to give away the idea because not that somebody will use it but i want to keep it fresh so yeah that's the clues it's about a recently deceased wrestler and i'm going to have on people each episode and talk about their work um it's not going to be weekly because doing a weekly show is kind of taxing you got to do the research and get the interviews and edit it and post it and all that stuff each week. And that's a little taxing. If I was getting paid for it, sure. But, you know, be 100% transparent. Uh, I only had one person that ever, like, donated to the show. And that was, like, a $5 thing a month. 
and to do four episodes a month for five bucks. I, and I'm I'm very grateful that the one person did that, but one person can't pay my bills. So, you know, um, and I definitely have saw good numbers throughout the years, but the last few months the numbers have dropped and uh, it wasn't as popular as it used to be. So, And part of it's the content, too, and a few things. When I took that break for a month, uh, the numbers did definitely drop. And when I had a few audio difficulties, I noticed some of the listenership dropped, which shows you that, you know, even if you try your hardest and do your best, people aren't exactly faithful and, and do that thing. Not everybody, of course. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit disheartening. And there's a few things that kind of shook me a little bit. So I figured I would just go out on this note and uh, do it the way I wanted to do it. So, so yeah, you got basically 156 episodes plus a few bonus ones. So I think we did about 160 episodes all on Just Franco. So um, they're always going to be up there on the Red Circle app. Um, so you always go back and listen to them. Um, always feel free to go back and visit them or download them or whatever you want. It's all free. If you ever want to throw me a donation or something for my past work, I'm always there to accept that because, uh, you know, like any independent, no budget filmmaker and podcaster, I can always use the money. I'm not a rich man, nor will I ever be. So any help is greatly appreciated. And of course, you can always reach me at Desperate Visions Productions at yahoo.com or on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I'll always have my Blu-rays for sale. As we speak, I've got seven films on Blu-ray. And I'm in post-production on the Amityville Killer. Uh, that will be part of the Amityville Aliens anthology film. And also She Knows Ferratu, which hopefully will be out by the end of this year, beginning of next year. If I can get my ass finishing that on time as well. So we'll see how we go on that. So yeah, we've got a lot of stuff on the horizons, those two films, and the new podcast, and my other work, and uh, my day job of uh, working for a uh, cable channel doing CG and uh, tentacle directing on those. So i got some stuff to keep me busy, keep me going, but uh, always stay true, and always keep me in your heart, and find me on Facebook and Instagram, Jason Rudy. Uh, Desperate Visions Productions or Franco Observer Podcast. Stay in touch and please follow and uh, my other upcoming projects and please support me and my art and my other projects I have coming up. And uh, I'll be around for a while, so hopefully uh, you will as well. So thank you all for listening and it was a pleasure doing this podcast. Have a great night. And one final Buenas noches, Maha. Buenas noches. Goodbye.